Hi, everybody. Welcome. I'm with Deep Prasad today, and this is going to be a fascinating conversation. A young man who is bridging the world of UFOs, quantum mechanics, and quantum computing in the most original ways. And I think he's going to open our eyes to some things that we're really just beginning to scratch the surface of. So let's go to Deep. And Deep, it's wonderful to see you. I'm so glad you could join me via Zoom because you can't come to the United States without getting quarantined. You're in Canada, right? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, without a two-week quarantine. Uh, yeah. But you know what? Um, I think that it might be over sooner than later. You know, fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I do because we were going to meet in the studios at Gaia in Boulder and um, we couldn't do that because you would have to be quarantined. So we're going to do this interview and when we can get together physically there in uh, Boulder, Colorado, we'll do it. Yeah. But first, yeah. I'd like for people to get to know you because you're still a very young man and you, yet you've had have such a breadth of experience, even in very high corporate worlds and military worlds and so forth. So let's find out who Deep is how your brain started <laughs> coming, moving into the fascination with quantum science. And then we're going to look at what happened in a UFO experience with you. But that sounds like it's going to be kind of exerting itself for many years to come. So take it away. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, thanks. I think like just starting from the top down, I've always had an interest in science. Um, like there's never been a time where I wasn't very obsessed with it and it wasn't, you know, a big part of my identity. Uh, and and so um, I was privileged enough to get into the world's first quantum computing incubator. Um, and before I describe what that is, like they had spent five years putting together this incubator where um, they got the world's best experts from MIT in different parts of the world that taught quantum computing and were some of them were fathers of different subfields within quantum computing and quantum information. Uh, and then uh, that really kind of like took me to a different uh, level in terms of like scientific understanding and just capability. It was kind of like throwing somebody and forcing them to learn to swim. Like that's what it was like. And uh, so I, I really like, yeah, um, learned um, on the job, so to speak. Uh, and um, yeah, so quantum computing, just so people know in case you're not familiar with it, is the intersection of quantum quantum mechanics and computer science so all of our computers today every single one that you have uh, whether it's in your laptop whether it's a computer in your phone it's all using classical physics it's all using the same underlying physics quantum computers use a completely different kind of quantum physics instead uh, to do the same computations and so a person who is in the quantum computing space like myself uh, my company, for example, our job is to find ways of using these quantum computers in uh, science of today. Like, what can we, um, what can we do with them? Really, it's a, it's a very, it's a billion dollar. Some people would argue a trillion dollar question uh, to be asking right now. So that's what we do, uh, you know, for the science, and I'm really excited about all that. Um, and then I do lots of UFO research too. Uh, I uh, do lots of, you know. Um, I do lots of investigation to the Department of Defense. I educate uh, technologists and CEOs uh, in the Silicon Valley. Um, I'm really interested in just like educating the world and getting the science out there. So, yeah. Thanks for the introduction. Um, I pulled something off by way of a definition of quantum computing because most of us have heard about it. We've heard about the incredible potentials of it for years, yet have no idea what it means 
what it's actually going to be capable of. But this started making sense. And can, should I just read it really simple? Sure. It's really, yeah. Okay. Quantum bits, also known as qubits, are much stranger. While they too toggle between one and zeros, a third state called quantum superimposition essentially allows both states to exist at the same time. So a one and a zero exist at the same time. Most of us are still having a hard time getting our, our minds around particles and waves and Schrodinger's cat and all of that. So in the world of computing, what exactly does this make possible to compute in this way? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. Uh, there's two classes I would say. We can now solve physical problems a lot easier than we could before. And then there's algorithmic problems. So I'll describe the physical ones. Um, the, the craziest thing about, uh, let's say, modeling um, a electron or a system with 100 electrons that are entangled with each other. So like, let's say you want to model um, there's a specific uh, um, iron molybdenum cofactor inside of the nitrogenase protein. Um, and uh, inside the nitrogenase, like there's a protein that's um, responsible for nitrogen fixation. And um, we don't know in certain organisms what is responsible for that fixation. So those problems, the reason why we, can't, we don't know what it is is because it requires lots of experiments to figure out, okay, what exact uh, elements and compounds are uh, involved in the, in the intermediary reactions of the nitrogen fixation process. We just don't know. Um, and because our experiments, our science isn't good enough, we can't probe these uh, you know, cellular structures well enough. Uh, the other option that's in our sort of palette is computing it, simulating the answer instead, because there's only a number of finite solutions to it. But the problem is calculating the actual finite solutions is impossible uh, with today's computers. Like at least like if you were to do it exactly with uh, the quantum algorithm way. So that's what quantum computers promise is we can solve for these like uh, very magic compounds. And so, um, you know, you can discover new materials and new drugs with this process. And you can also do things like breaking modern day encryption uh, methods. For example, RSA encryption is a big one, right? That underlies the encryption of the internet, modern banking. So oh, clearly yeah. this has major implications in national security, right? Huge. Oh, absolutely. With, especially with quantum communication. People don't even talk about quantum internet, but that's a huge national security issue. Um, yeah. Okay. So one of the things I, I've, I've read some of your um, articles, I've looked at some of your interviews and peeked around on your site. And one of the things you talk about in this, which I can kind of get my head around is the notion of being able to extract information out of the field and reduce the noise of the field itself. And I know this sounds like it's uh, like it's a non sequitur, but I'm wondering if there might be a corollary here. Um, many years ago, I was interviewing Russell Targ of SRI. I don't know if you know who Russell is. Of yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. So I love Russell. I first interviewed him in 1984. Okay. <laughs> anyway, he was explaining back at that time what happens when you do remote viewing into the future. Okay. And he said what works so well about viewing into the future rather than in the present is there's so much noise in the field in the present moment and you can reduce the noise by jumping time frames so to speak to the future in a skilled a skilled 
um, viewer can do that. Is, is it similar in that you're extracting information out of the field by reducing that noise in, in a, obviously a different way scientifically, but is it similar in terms of getting a clear effect? Yeah, that's a super interesting analogy. Uh, noise plays a huge role in quantum computing because like all of our computations are error prone. Uh, the, so with quantum computing, every time you do a computation uh, because of the noise, uh, you get errors uh, that are piling up. And so um, that happens because you can't, we can't perfectly isolate the quantum system from the environment around itself. Uh, the, the, the longer and the further we can isolate that quantum system from the environment so that nothing interacts with it, nothing disturbs it, and collapses it to a classical state, the better your computations will be. But that's an engineering problem, right, is uh, increasing those what's called coherence times. Okay, so now we're looking at something I was reading there, and it has to do with the terahertz quantum cascade laser and its ability to focus information at unfathomable speeds. Tell us about that and what the potential of that is in your field. Uh, sure, so um, the cool thing about like, I, I really wanna say something more about photonics as a yeah. uh, yeah, mode of um, information general. Uh, there's three classes of quantum computers that are kind of competing with each other right now, like three kinds of hardware schemes. Uh, there's superconducting, which is kind of like number one at the moment. Um, then there's ion traps, and then there's photonic-based. Uh, and photonic has the most potential because these, are, uh, these allow you to do quantum computations at room temperature, which we can't do right now uh, with superconductors. So you can, once you can compute with light, that's huge because you can uh, retrofit with the existing fiber optics in the Internet of today. So you could send quantum information through today's Internet uh, in theory. So that's a that's a complete game changer, right? Huge, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That okay. Um, yeah. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? So one thing, this is why I said it's a big national security issue as well, is because uh whoever owns the quantum internet, I keep saying this, basically will rule the world. So like China at the moment is ahead of us in being able to teleport quantum photons uh from long distances away into space. So that's one half of the equation. You want to be able to teleport that quantum information onto the satellite, right? And so that's something they're really mastering. And uh, then you also want to be able to integrate and you know keep those uh, two photons entangled coherently for long amounts of time. What does that race result in, the winner of that race? Uh, sure. Uh, so that race results in, uh, let me describe to you what the, like n mature quantum internet will look like because I think like it'll give you it'll tell you exactly why people even want to build one right like why we're so obsessed with one so uh, th there's this uh, thing called optophotonics which is different than uh, optogenetics um, so opto neurooptophotonics um, essentially is a field within quantum information and neuroscience that lets you read the brain non-invasively. So I wish, like eventually when that technology, those quantum sensors are more mature, I'll be able to read in like the human brain, like their neuronal activity without having to insert anything into their head. So that's the beauty of these. Uh, um, and, the, and that data is quantum data and quantum data inherently is impossible to compute at what, at a single threshold at a certain point. 
for normal computers. So you need quantum computers to compute that quantum data from your quantum sensor that's reading in that neural activity. And where are you going to send that quantum information? You can't send it all through the normal internet. You would send it through the quantum internet. And now the quantum internet so can act as a way of like telepathy, basically, right? Like That's it can what I was just going to ask you. I mean, when you're talking about reading a mind through yeah. the technology, are you actually getting... Um, are you reading, it's not like an MRI where you're seeing what parts of the brain are engaged or whatnot or activated. Are you talking about actual images or thought forms that start appearing through these photons? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the idea would be we gain. So it becomes a matter of philosophy at a certain point where can I, even if I knew the exact activity of a person's brain, can I know exactly what thought they're having, right? Like, is that like that's still a matter of philosophy at the moment. Well, I know exactly what you're feeling and smelling and sensing when I see your brain activity and like stimulate it or send it to myself. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know that answer. Uh, if it's a yes, then yeah, we would be able to read people's exact thought patterns. In fact, I was reading here, is, is this accurate? Um, you've been told by the intelligence, by intelligence and the defense intelligence agency, they're studying the capability of actually manipulating consciousness through this technology. Is that accurate? So um, manipulating uh, this intelligence through which technology? Quantum technology. Um, I mean, it's, it's not just accurate for the defense world, but yeah, uh, uh, of course, like people are looking at, um, you know, like more advanced quantum sensors. And, and uh, I think that like when we look at uh, consciousness, right, and like consciousness manipulation, there's so many ways that we can interpret that, right? Like there's more nefarious ways. Uh, uh, I would say like, you know, like sonic weapons, things that like ch or change, you know, make people see things, uh, those kinds of weapons. Um, that's consciousness altering. But then, you know, there's also like, precision drug medicine that you can do with quantum computing. And that's a field that's very burgeoning. It's only a handful of people, but you know, that's also the future too. Like being able to pick and create the exact drug with no side effects to do exactly what you want it to. It would be injected, so to speak, or you'd be exposed to it via some kind of photonic device or what? Uh, so those medicines would just be regular uh, therapeutics, okay. but like, it would just be perfectly targeted like for your body to do whatever you wanted. Let's say you have some disease, maybe it's terminal. Um, eventually, like we will get to a point where we can create precision medicine for any disease you have. Cause yeah. Uh, Cause you have the quantum hardware, the quantum sensors actually sensing and detecting the disease and finding it. And then you can uh, destroy it through, let's just say very, uh, you know, any non-invasive way you'd like or any therapeutic you'd like that's administered into the body. I mean, that's a beautiful potential. And is this, is this nanotechnology or is nanotechnology a notch down from what you're talking about? That's, a, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the latter. Uh, that's smart that you asked that. Like, we're talking about something even smaller than nano. Um, and yeah, we're, we're detecting information at the quantum level, like atom by atom. So... Okay, so just to go back to what you were talking about a moment ago, the delivery system would be like you pop a pill or what? So, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> like, uh, it's, yeah, it's less about the, um, the delivery system is less hard, I would say, than the actual, like, disease that we're trying to kill um, or, like, whatever drug we're trying to create for. 
but uh yeah it would be popping in pills i mean the uh, ideal though is that you don't have to do any of that right like i envision one day um that you know you just have a scanner like a very powerful yeah. laser precision thing yes. uh, that's super hard though uh, like right now because like we just don't have that level of precision with a with any kind of laser or or any kind of like collated uh a laser energy source um yeah, collated energy source. Sorry, like it, it would, you know, we would disrupt and and damage the cells and the organelles around the cell that we want to repair. So, for now, anyways. So this, because uh, I'm just trying to get my mind around the future and what it looks like, because uh, there are certain kind of energy devices that are already being used that are precursors to this, where you can free, you can beam a frequency after you've um, diagnosed a person, beam the correcting frequencies and so forth for to then take effect in the physical matter. Is it kind of along that line where you can literally direct a frequency to that person that will have the effect that you're talking about that quantum effect um yeah uh certainly it depends on like what kind of uh i guess mode of transport of medicine we're talking about here yeah, um, yeah it depends on that it's fascinating i'm i hadn't planned on asking you any of this but since we opened That's it fine. up people are going to be so curious about the potentials of it of course i'm curious about the positive potentials of what's coming up because it's a world we're not glimpsing right now the average person knows nothing about on the other hand there are people watching saying yikes um there's even greater potential for kind of invading one's space so to speak if you're talking about it in the wrong hands which seems to be true of every technology now. And how are your feelings about that? Because you're really on the forefront of it. How do you feel um, just kind of philosophically about engaging with it, especially the meeting of the mind or the reading of the mind or the yeah. manipulation of the mind? Yeah, so um, I, I would rather uh, be at the forefront of these technologies and be the person who developed them or know the people who created them than, than not right? Like, uh, uh, yeah, I, I would, yeah, better. Yeah. Just, um, you know, it's the same reason why I strongly support, you know, the Canadian and the American and the Australian efforts, you know, and the five eyes efforts for creating quantum technologies. It's yes. because, yeah, it's, it's better than, than, than let's say China or Russia, uh, per se. Indeed, yeah. Deep, I'm very happy that you're where you are because you have a good heart. So uh, let's, go, let's go on to what happened and how this interfaces because I have a feeling it's something that's going to be expressing itself throughout your life. So you were, you were in your room one day and tell us what happened with the experience you had, the alien encounter you had uh, that led to a download. Sure. Um, so yeah, I call it download now. Um, but yeah, I just, I didn't even have that really word to describe this back then. Um, but long story short, like, um, I was actually on this laptop when, when this happened. So, um, I, it was, it happened, uh, February 1st, 2019. And this is something that I didn't tell people for nearly eight months. I would say like publicly, I had not come out with this. Um, but Essentially, I found myself in this sort of like paralyzed position uh, and, and I thought that I was actually going to die. Like I, I could not move my body anymore. And I immediately got these like series of thoughts that something was going to happen and 
that I would know exactly what was going to happen, but I would not have the exact number of words to describe it. Like it, like I was having all these thoughts that weren't verbal. So when I say thoughts, I, I don't want to say, you know, like they were completely, they were complete, but they weren't verbal. Like, I, yeah, there's no other way to describe it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, within about a couple of milliseconds, like I look up and I see this like, this like white uh, object, like sort of like, it's kind of translucent at first. It wasn't perfectly solid or there. And I see these like black, like hollow, you know, almond eyes uh, kind of, and that was it. Like I saw nothing else. And it's just like, just hovering there in my room. And it looks so like, um, like ghostly, so surreal that I thought that like, I must be matching this. Like, I, I, you know, like this is probably part of a seizure or something. Uh, and, and that it's going to go away. And, and, and the crazy part is that it didn't. It, by the time I went, I looked back again, you know, there was three of these completely fully formed, you know, little humanoid looking beings. Uh, they were robotic. Uh, they had these big rectangular, like white heads. Their, all, their suit, everything was perfectly white. Like it was like taking like a perfectly snow white uh, metallic sort of suit. And it was just, you know, no seams, nothing. And they had these like golden symbols in the middle that were just constantly changing. Like, uh, like notice how the writing on our clothes are static. The writing on theirs were dynamic. Like it could just change very easily on the skin of those clothes. Uh, I, I have no idea how, right? I mean, we could guess all day long. But like uh, the whole thing just looks so... It was so hyper real uh, and terrifying. Like my fight or flight instinct was like in full, you know, full mode. Uh, and so I was trying to resist and trying to figure out, you know, what was going on and just hoping that this would go away. But it wasn't like it just got more, uh, more real. Um, and suddenly at, um, pretty quickly on into the experience, um, they start beaming these uh, hieroglyphs and imagine like, 3d movie subtitles like red subtitles just like floating in front of me and it was just sentences and they were just flipping so fast and like it would change into paragraphs um and it was like a mix of like uh like japanese and egyptian that's the way that i ancient egyptian that's way the way i describe it um and i must have calculated i calculated about like seeing ten thousand of these that's what i'm guessing like it's in that order of magnitude just a ton um, and the only English word that I could, like, I recognized, and it was clearly there to be recognized, I feel, uh, was the word DNA. Like, it showed up four different times. Um, and, uh, yeah, other than that, like, after this experience, it changed my outlook on life totally. Like, I was already investigating this subject, but now I was, like, a complete believer and just somebody looking for answers um, and somebody who wanted to scientifically prove and disprove what had happened. And so it kind of set me on a completely different track. I took a ticket out to SCU, a private space conference, uh, you know, where I met Lou Elizondo and Hal Putoff. And that really like, uh, got me, uh, going to, and, and yeah, now we're here, like having this conversation. <laughs> I mean, it's so exciting. And when I think about that, those things don't happen by accident, obviously. It's not <laughs> 
I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. And, and just briefly, I had a similar thing happen unexpectedly when I went into this cave in Israel at the, yeah. the, the monastery for John the Baptist. And it was uh, very similar to what happened to you. I sat down, this thing merged down through the ceiling, this large ball of light, this being in white. And suddenly I'm being downloaded with pictographs and hieroglyphics and a lot having to do with the positions and movements of the body and hands of the people in those times um, that, that we see, commonly we see in uh, Egyptian pictographs. And so I didn't know at the time either. I thought, why is this happening? And clearly it was for something to be stored within my greater mind for a later use. And I bring that up because clearly you were downloaded with this either as some reconnection with ancient knowledge that we've yet to rediscover or something we haven't yet discovered. And, mm -hmm. and how do you feel about that? I mean, how is that showing itself to you? How do you think it may be, and even maybe in the future, especially with the word DNA in there? Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, it really makes me wonder about the whole fact that, you know, the ancient languages, right. That they're pictorial. Like I wonder were they inspired by the same phenomenon that I experienced? Like, uh, I mean, take, take Sanskrit, for example, it's such a complex language, uh, and it almost came out of nowhere for all intents and purposes. Um, so, yeah, I, I wonder if, like, our language, I mean, look at all the emojis that people use today, right? We're already becoming more pictorial slowly. Yes. That's kind of funny. Yeah, it makes total sense. And depending on what circles you're in and which... Uh yeah. Uh, archaeologists and historians you're talking to in the kind of revisionist version of it that I deal a lot with, that what each of us may have been downloaded with is something that originated either elsewhere or even in early, early times and in, in the times of Atlantis, for example, when there was higher knowledge and a variety of species available and interaction with species from other places. And that knowledge is said to have been preserved through Egyptian hieroglyphics. And I know I've been told that uh, if you want to know what your future looks like, go to Egyptian hieroglyphics and learn to understand them on, in their proper meaning, not the way Budge and others have interpreted them, but in their truest sense of the word, which apparently has yet to be done. So that might be something that starts kind of popping into view for you. Nice. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah. So with that in mind, when we look at the potential of quantum computing, quantum mechanics, yeah. Everything you just talked about and DNA, what has that inspired by way, way of either inquiry or even outright experimentation with you? Uh, sure. So um, I'm extremely obsessed with computational biology from a quantum perspective. So like... Explain so that. Sure. So, so there's uh, basically... All of the amazing things that the human body can do, um, a lot of it is based on the proteins that uh, we have in our cellular structures, right? This is true for all animals. Um, like, like why can a spider 
make such like amazing silk, right? Like spider silk and spin webs. It's because of the proteins that it has in its body. So if I wanted to, for example, create or modify myself to live on planet Mars or some other environment, right? What would I do? I would change my proteins and, and engineer those proteins. Um, and so there's the, um, there's a hard part about, so the cool thing is we can construct proteins. It's very hard, very expensive, but we can synthesize proteins and we're getting better and better at it. Um, and so the hard part though is predicting what way a protein will fold and what way they'll, the protein will fold predicts uh, its function. So if you want to essentially create a protein that does something for you, a specific task, you need to be able to understand protein folding uh, and the way that proteins fold. Now, the cool thing about nature is that think of it as like a three-dimensional puzzle problem. Like the, the problem of protein folding prediction is how will a protein, two proteins fold into each other? Like that, like there's, there's, um, um, like billions and trillions and trillions of combinations for some of these proteins that they can fold into, right? And so there's no way a human can like just guess one. We can, and so you have to calculate it. And even then, uh, it becomes uh, almost impossible basically for, uh, essentially it does become impossible for like today's computers. Uh, so, so quantum computing, can you model it and have a better, so to speak, guess at how it's going to fold? That's exactly it. Yep, because how it's going to fold is based on the path of least resistance, the principle of least action. It's going to take the lowest energy state, and that lowest energy state is figured out by what's called the Hamiltonian of that system. And that Hamiltonian comes from quantum mechanics. It's a, well, it comes from statistical mechanics, and uh, quantum mechanics uses it a lot. So like you model the Hamiltonian of the protein you're interested in on your quantum computer. Then you let your computer, your quantum computer run the simulation and your protein will fold in that simulation because it's using the same exact physics that the protein in real life uses. It's using the same atomic physics. So, okay. So we can see what the effect might be on healing various disorders and so forth. What is the effect going to be on our cellular biology in terms of longevity, for example, what do you see in terms of an age span, some, you know, a few hundred thousand years out or say? Yeah. I mean, Oh, well, in a few hundred thousand. No, I, I said either a few hundred or a thousand. I mean, oh, or a thousand. Soon. yeah. Yeah. Fair. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was going to say in a few hundred thousand years out, we would, we would be like immortal for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But in the next <laughs> the year, the near future. Yeah. The, the near future, so to speak, I do see like, a lot of people feel iffy when I say this, but it is the truth. Uh, we're going to see a complete diversification, I feel, in, in the human species. Like, there will be different human species uh, again. Like, we have never been used to other human species. It's just you and I, right? We're all one species. But I, don't, I think that's going to change over the next 50 years, next 100 years. You're going to have um, near-sentient humanoids. You're going to have human-animal hybrids, uh, I believe that's inevitable. And you're going to have just superhumans, people who are genetically altered, you know, designer babies, so to speak. So our society is going to look a lot closer to like BoJack Horseman.
<laughs> and I guess most people think, well, who is the determinant of whether what what where you end up in that evolutionary um, process, right? Is that a matter of our choice? Is it a matter of outside choices? How do you see that happening? How would you see uh, the the human animal hybrid versus the superhuman? Where would you think yourself if you could project yourself out there? Where would you be? <laughs> Those are really good questions. Um, I think when it comes to the matter of like, is it our choice? Uh, like, was it my choice to buy uh, a Mac laptop or a smartphone? Maybe not so much, right? Like, I don't know. Um, so I think it's going to become that. Like, uh, it won't even matter uh, in some respect. Like, we'll, we'll just do whatever's best for us at that point. Um, I would personally uh, try to alter my genes and just like extend my life. And I would want that for all my friends and family. I, won't, I would want people to easily revert back to a nice age, whatever age they want, and just stay that way uh, forever. Like, I think that technology is inevitable. Is that going to interface with the telomere structure of our, our being, of our cells? I mean, is yeah, that longevity of telomeres? Yeah? Certainly, exactly. Uh, telomeres, um, and then we'll, we'll also, I think, be able to uh, just be able to use, you know, really advanced nanotechnology uh, to do cellular repair um, at just like extreme precision. I mean, it's really exciting. Uh, I mean, you have to be excited every day when you wake up just for the potential of what you're dealing with. Absolutely. And you also, you also have contracts. I mean, you work with agencies. I mean, you're <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. is just a kid in his attic. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> in a condo, but yeah. Uh, no, but yeah, my company does have contracts. We, you know, we work with both defense companies and, you know, banks and other, um, you know, we also have a hospital network in our client base. So it's not just defense we do, uh, but yeah. Because there's one I was reading that you, um, that you work with an aer uh, aerospace defense organization to detect and track supersonic UFOs. Yeah. Here your technology is merging over with the physical UFO experience. Exactly. Yeah, no, that, I was very pleasantly surprised uh, and happy to be pulled into that work. Um, I was advising, I got to advise, I don't want to talk too much on the technical details, um, yeah. but on the high level, I was able to advise on infrastructure and technologies that they should use that the quantum world is developing. And like I, could, I pointed out why this is relevant for detecting and tracking UFOs and hypersonic UFOs. So that was a super cool experience. Okay, this is just this is just a fun question. Uh, any idea of just how fast they've been tracked just to this point in our with our current technologies? Yeah, so uh, I mean, you have the official records of thirty-one times the speed of sound, but there are unofficials of like eighty-eight times the speed of sound. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty amazing. Is quantum computing um, going to help launch us into inter interstellar space travel at some point in time? I mean, not just the conspiracy things, not just black ops projects, but across the board. Are we going to be launched out there as a result of quantum computing and its capabilities? Totally. Yeah, 1,000%. Uh, I, I don't think we can do it without quantum computing. Yeah. Like, it'll just play a role in in so many advanced science things we're doing and it'll touch every field of science by the time it's done. 
So I have just one more question left. I have, I have three pages of questions, but you, you're giving us so much to think about already. Sometimes you kind yeah, of have a brain melt. And so you let everybody sit and get comfortable with this. Then when we get back together, I'm going to ask you two other pages of questions that I haven't even gotten to yet. Um, and one of them has to do with AI and, and how you feel AI is going to play out um, in a responsible manner because most people that are not down with AI is simply because they don't feel it's going to be, they feel it will be in such exotic hands that it will not be within with to the benefit of the average person. What's your feeling on AI? Yeah, uh, no, it needs to be democratized. Um, and I think that like the, my biggest concern is AI bias right now. And obviously the deep fake culture, right? And like, the ability to synthetically fake a video of you and me. Like I yes. think that's a, that's a problem, right? For fake news and for propaganda and, and exploitation. Um, the fact of the matter though, is that eventually uh, it will become such a like core thing that the, like, I don't think the the power distribution will be as imbalanced as it is right now. Like okay. eventually everybody will have access to, to very powerful AI just like we do with our smartphones, right? We eventually that technology trickled down to everyone. That's a nice view of it. So just to wrap up this first conversation, I hope we can have you back. Yeah, of course. I have I'll so be many questions for you. I know that you're going to become more and more and more in demand. So I'll be like, you know, scratching <laughs> at your door, but if you'll make time for us, I'd really appreciate it. What is the one thing that is just getting that has you more excited than anything in its potential within your lifetime? Within my lifetime, it's the fact that we can con possibly confirm scientifically that we possess technologies created by a different non-human culture. I think that's the most profound thing that might be true in my lifetime. Like more profound than the work of Philip Corso? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is part of it, right? It is. Like, it is. We, yeah, exactly. He would be, you know, vindicated that scenario he really would and do you think that with the work you're doing and having had this kind of interdimensional experience which it is because they're if they're able to phase in and out it's interdimensional do you think that the, this technology is also going to help us not just connect with but become known to others in these slightly phased off dimensions other beings and other civilizations I think that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if the the milestone of when we created the first quantum computer or like when we created the first quantum computation was monitored. Like uh, yes. it might have, it might be a signal in itself. Who knows? I think so. I do, and I think they tapped you for good reason. <laughs> that's um, if anyone's going to be tapped to take this on, I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Regina. I want to thank you so much for joining us. And um, how can people follow you? What's the best way to follow you? Uh, follow me on Twitter. I think that's the one where I'm most like public on uh, at Deep Neuron. So. Okay, that sounds good. And also, I want to say I'm really enjoying some of your articles in uh, the Medium. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's, that's great. another fun place people can find you. Totally. Very good. Well, Deep, thank you so much for your time, and we'll be yeah, back with you. you again soon. Of course. Okay. Take, Take care, care. Jeff. Be okay. safe. Okay.
everybody again, Deep Prasad, be looking for him on Twitter and also uh, read some of his articles on the medium and you can go to his website as well. So until next time, thank you for joining us here. We have a lot to think about after talking with Deep here on reginameredith.com.